Hi, and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche area of interest that they could just talk forever about. Here are your hosts. I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Alex. Alex, how are you? Hey, how are you all? Or did you say who are you? I mean, we... So, like, I mean, this is this is a very strange episode, probably exceptionally on topic to come out the gate and go, No, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Um, I said how Search are inside you? yourself. Already, I was like, this, this has just started and I already messed it up. Uh, oh, no, it's all good. I, my I'm voice good. is weird. I'm doing great. You, do, you done goofed. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first line, too. It's like, I will accept answers to either question, to be honest. Um, but glad to hear you're doing well. Um, and what are you here to talk to us about today? Uh, I'm here to talk to you about Douglas Adams. Lovely. See, that was a question where, if you had said what? It would have been. It would have been the same question. Um. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Galaxy brain moment. I couldn't couldn't have gone wrong with that one. Yeah, you go. What or who are you here to talk about? And you're just like three fifteen in the afternoon. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Douglas Adams. This is very exciting, despite the fact that I've never read. I, much to my shame, I somewhere. I, oh yeah, I can literally see it from where I'm sitting in my shed. Is the collect the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, and I know he's written more than that, but I've just never gotten around to reading Douglas Adams. But he's really exciting. Um, Under normal circumstances, hmm. maybe I would be uh, affronted by that. But under these circumstances, I think that's great because. The whole reason I'm here is to tell you about him and all of his work and his life. Uh, and 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 now I'm not, I'm not telling you something you already know. Now I get to yeah. get new information. So that's great. Yeah, there was this sort there was this sort of debate at the start of the podcast where it was like, well, if we don't know things that people are bringing to us, should we do our research? And then it was like, no, it's way better if we just go in and go, no, we've no idea what you're talking about. Please no, enlighten I, I us. Agree. I agree. We're going to be the smartest people ever by the end of this experiment. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In fact, I would be intimidated if you were like, oh, yes, I've read all of his work and I know everything about him. I'd be like, oh, God, are you going to, like, fact check me as I talk? Uh, Oh. (laughs) So it's it's actually it's actually great to to know that you are that you haven't read any of his stuff. Uh, Ali, have you read any of his work? I have not. (laughs) Great. That that's lovely for me. This is the best possible outcome. Yeah, yeah, I get to feel like the expert in the room. You are. Hyperfixations, making you feel like the expert in the room. That's one for the no context. (laughs) I mean, it's also just great because I talk about Douglas Adams all the time to people who don't want to be or hear about him and are like, "Why, why are you talking about this? We were trying to have like a normal social interaction and you had to rant for an hour. Uh, now I get to do that, and that's the point. So that's also great. That's what we're here for. Mm. Yeah, if you showed up to this podcast and had a normal social interaction with us, we'd be go- we would say to you, well, why didn't you go on a rant for an hour? Yeah, true. That would that the social interaction podcast, that would be like the most boring podcast ever. Oh, God. Yeah, no, yeah. Interactions. I mean, I would say Joe Rogan's podcast, because... While it is boring as all fuck, um, 
None of those interactions on it are normal human ones. Right. <laughs> and also That's just some psyop shit. Literally anything would be better than Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. That is true. My main take is, and I promise we'll get back to Douglas Adams in a second, my main take is, like, yes, he is a horrible racist and bigot, and yes, he does spread misinformation about COVID-19 and other infectious diseases, but my main problem with him is that he's a terrible podcast host. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, on top of all that. Yes, to add insult to injury. There's so much to hate. There's so much to hate. There's so much to hate within that shiny bald head. That could be describing at least three people in the government of Ireland. <laughs> okay, so. Yes. Lex Luthor did nothing wrong. Um, um. Um, yes, so, Douglas Adams. Um, why did you choose Douglas Adams specifically to... to uh, talk about this episode because I know our listeners won't know this uh, beforehand. You had kind of thrown out that you were going to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but then you changed to Douglas Adams, the man himself, more uh, specifically. Yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to to broaden what I was going to talk about because, like anyone who is neurodivergent and hyperfixates, I have had a lot of phases and fixations, all of that. Uh, my Hitchhiker's Guide phase was definitely the longest and the strongest and also the one that sticks with me and influenced me the most. But unlike other pieces of media where I was like, okay, I'm really into the media and that's it, I also became really fascinated with Douglas Adams as a person and the other work that he did because it's not just Hitchhiker's Guide, it's also Dirk Gently, and of course with Dirk Gently there's not only the books, but there is not one but two television adaptations, but then there's also Douglas Adams' activism work, and his essays, and his game design, and that one documentary he did with Tom Baker about technology. Like, he was such a strange and fascinating person uh, that, you know, by the time I became interested in him, in him and his body of work, uh, he had already died. So mm. I kind of, and this was at a young age too. I, this started at 11 for me. Um, so I was as an 11 year old piecing together this portrait of a life that had already ended, uh, that I, I, that I knew nothing about. And that was, and that kind of became my fascination was who was this person why did he do the things he did i love the things he did uh but but who was he so that's why yeah. i wanted to broaden it there's a lot to talk about yeah mm. there's a lot going on i definitely sympathize with that um and it's not nearly i don't think i've ever had that with anyone where i've gotten really into someone after they've died but you know like close to the time in terms of their media because like i grew up as a kid listening to like music from the like 60s through 80s and so like a lot of those were dead like uh you know freddie mercury was dead and mm. queen and johnny cash died when i was three before i you know got a collection of his songs and stuff but um i remember when i first got into my chemical romance it was literally like two months after they broke up 
and I had kind of gotten through gotten through like some similar music and ended up like at that as a recommendation and so it was just like the internet had recommended me oh you should listen to my chemical romance i was like what these guys are really good and i remember saying it to some friends of mine who were also into like you know that genre of music and i was like wow my chemical romance these guys are so good and they turned they were like oh buddy we don't know how to tell you this (laughs) i'm afraid to tell you this but (laughs) yeah like two or three months beforehand so it's funny, I have had kind of a similar experience with pretty much every author that I really like, where I'm like, oh, this author is so great. You know what? This author has influenced me so much. I want to write to them. I want to write them a fan letter. And so, like, when I was 11, I went to my dad and I was like, Douglas Adams is so cool. And my dad was like, I have bad news for you. <laughs> he, he, died tell you this. <laughs> he died a long time ago. Um, so what I'm hearing is you should stop finding authors to admire because you're still killing them all. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually funny. Uh, because I recently, and I, I mentioned this a bit to you, uh, that my current hyperfixation that I'm not going to talk about um, but that I'm deeply in love with is a Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. And I recently did write a fan letter to Brandon Sanderson because it was the first opportunity I had to write to a living author. And I said, sir, uh, I seem to bear a curse. I'm sorry if I have killed you by hyperfixating on your work because I oh, please, 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 please do not kill Brandon Sanderson because I've got so much rioting on finding out what the rest of the fuck is happening in Stormlight and the Cosmere at large. That like it, he's that man's insane. That man is like fully patently insane. Oh, like a, how does he do that? Man. He's a madman. Yeah, man. I love him. Um, and he uh, he is the first living author author that I ever actually. Fun fact: I got really into Fahrenheit 451. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I love Ray Bradbury. I'm gonna write to him. Um, <gasps> you killed Ray Bradbury. He died immediately after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It was the same month that I read Fahrenheit 451. I'm oh. now I feel like I have to fact fact check to make sure that I'm like. <gasps> yeah, no, no, no. It, def- it definitely was. I was in eighth grade. That was the year. That oh was my god. Year. <laughs> Sorry, I'm literally fanning myself because. Um. So all I can say is if Brandon I didn't think this was going to be I didn't think this was going to be the exclusive we got for this episode is that Alex unintentionally kills every author they grow to like the real question is how did I end up retroactively killing Douglas Adams because I was three years old when he died so that's a feat that that one yeah. that one I can't figure out yes for that one like um but the ray bradbury one like uh i don't know <laughs> that's when start to be like there's a pattern here terry Pratt yeah another one. Oh god yeah i remember so like <laughs> i'm so I sorry, fantasy fans i i'm your scourge yeah i haven't read any um Douglas adams like i said but I, i've read a lot of terry pratchett and i'm reading it currently for a podcast that i'm doing um mm. nanny Ogg's book club but like First of all, I remember, because I, I had read some Pratchett back in 2015 when he died, and I remember be, like that was a celebrity death that I was really upset about. Mm. But Tessa, my co-host for that, has read Douglas Adams, and she's like commented on a lot of similarities between yeah. the styles that they both write in 
and this kind of like humorous but also like serious and dealing with kind of issues in society at large and the, like you know it tackles big mm. problems and ever really get bogged down in I suppose like if you're going to continue along like making it grim dark you know like a Joe Abercrombie or a George R. R. Martin would mm. please do not write another letter to George R. R. Martin because I swear to god if he does to finish a song of ice and fire uh, I'm fairly certain that I am that George R. R. Martin is not really my taste, so I don't. I, I okay. think he's safe. I think he's safe from my curse. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, gen- genuinely, uh, uh, genuinely, just in case, I apologize for horribly libeling you on the podcast in case you decide to take us to court. Uh, <laughs> no, it's 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 fine because I've yeah. I've won- I've wondered about it myself. Craig is um, actually our lawyer, so um, just but- know he's present. In case there are any lawyers listening, I I did I did not commit I did not murder any fantasy authors. I promise, or sci-fi authors. Okay, uh, it's all good. But but yeah, I that is something. That's actually why I started reading Terry Pratchett. Is people kept telling me, "Oh, you really like Douglas Adams? You would like Terry Pratchett." And there's like obviously the humor is very similar because it's very very British humor, honestly. But also <laughs> this aspect of social and political satire that is present where like you said very serious issues are being dealt with but in a lighthearted way that doesn't cheapen the issues but it also makes it very consumable and fun and gets at a lot of complex ideas in a really fun way which is something I think one of the joys of of both of them but I can't really speak to Terry Pratchett as much on this one because I came to Terry Pratchett when I was a little older when I was a teenager uh Mm. That even as an 11 year old child, I could still enjoy Douglas Adams and I could still really enjoy Hitchhiker's Guide as, and like find it funny and enjoy it as just like a comedic romp and get some of the satirical elements as a kid. But then every time I reread it, there is something new that I didn't see the first time, partially because there's just so much there and it's so dense but partially because it's kind of delightful in that a child can understand it, an adult is going to understand it so much more. Like, uh, Douglas Adams wrote a short story that is technically part of the Hitchhiker's Guide series, and it's usually included with the, like, omnibus editions, the Ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide editions, uh, but it's just a short story. And I read it as a kid. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I had no idea what was going on. I was... (laughs) Super confused. It was like it was like this alien getting released. Uh, years later, I was I think I was 19 years old. Someone tells me, "Oh yeah, that short story was about how Ronald Reagan was an alien," <laughs> and I was like, "I would never have understood that as a kid." Which one is that? Is that mostly harmless? Is that so long and thanks for all the fish? Uh, no, that it's uh, actually Young Zaphod plays it safe. Uh, uh, mostly armors and thanks for so long and thanks for all the fish are both full novels. Ah, so I'm just looking at the spine of my. It's yeah, not no, because I'm looking at my omnibus, right? Ah, it's included in like the one that I grew up with and the anthology, The Wizards of Odd and uh, Salmon of Doubt. Yeah, I do. I, oh, I have the Salmon of Doubt somewhere separate. as a separate book. Stephen Fry introduced that one. Yes, he did. 
Uh, mm. The Salmon of Doubt is a really, really cool book if you're like me and love Douglas Adams and have already read all of his fiction work and want to understand, like I said, like kind of the piecing together uh, portrait of him. I realize that it sounds like I, de I deify him a lot, and that's something I really try hard not to do because I know he wasn't a perfect person, but the difficult thing with loving someone who, uh, a celebrity who died, is they no longer have time to disappoint you. So That's true. It's, it's going to be really hard for me to find. Obviously, I have critiques of, like, the text and Hitchhiker's Guide. You know, the the role of women is not great. Mm. It's it's better than some authors. It's still not great. Like, there's still stuff to criticize, but it becomes very easy to be like, wow, what an incredible, mysterious person that I'm never going to be able to... You know, there's a, there's a finite amount of knowledge and all of the, you know, every piece I'm going to read... I'm going to like because it has all been curated. So The Salmon of Doubt is really cool because it is this curated portrait of, it's separated into three sections, uh, life, the universe, and everything, because, you know, the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Uh, and mm. the life section is like painting a portrait of his life. So it's like personal narratives, stuff like that. Uh, the universe is his like, beliefs and ideas about the universe so it includes a lot of essays including an essay that like was totally paradigm shifting for me uh is there an artificial god uh and also like interviews like there's an interview with actually i don't remember what section this one is it there's a there's an interview with him and the and a, an atheism magazine and then everything is a collection of remaining fiction and this is all published mm. posthumously so huh. The short story's in there. There's another short story that I'm actually not a huge fan of. Um, uh, it's Genghis Khan. It's something about Genghis Khan. Uh, and then the beginning of the final unfinished Dirk Gently novel, A Spoon Too Short. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting as well that you brought up that that's how it's um, split up. The Salmon of Doubt is split up into these three sections. Because, like, if I said, like, you know, Douglas Adams to people, or well, I suppose if you said it, because I don't really know much else about Douglas Adams, but, like, a lot of what people understand is, like, that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is, spoiler alert, 42. Like, and it's mm. so, it's so ubiquitous in pop culture. Yeah. Um, but it's also really weird because I don't know the context of it in the novel, I wonder if there's any other kind of implications, but it's really weird for something that's so ubiquitous. It doesn't really have a lot of cultural capital outside of, you know, like people just saying, oh, 42, and then people references. Like, I remember the earliest, I don't I don't even think of Hitchhiker's Guide at the time, but like the Impossible Quiz has a reference to. It does. Um, yeah, it has a it has a, a a reference to that, and so then I remember being like, "What the hell is this?" So I'm pretty sure that's how I like ended up becoming aware of right. um, Hitchhikers. Yeah, you you should have seen eleven year old me playing the Impossible Quiz for the first time and being like, "Oh my god, they know," because <laughs> I I had because I read it so young, I had the opposite experience. I had the joy of reading that scene, uh, the. 42 scene which do you want me to explain the context because because you all haven't read it yeah and, uh, go ahead sure why not i get to talk about my favorite thing uh 
So it is part of the this history of the universe that we're kind of getting replayed for us from the perspective of the protagonist. Uh, that a one planet constructed a supercomputer to tell them what the ultimate answer is. And the supercomputer takes years and years and years to think about this question. It's called deep thought. And deep thought takes years and years and years to come up with the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. So there's all this anticipation and like generations pass. And then there's this big moment where these two guys come in and they're going to ask the computer, what's the answer? And they go in and the computer says 42. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> this is not at all what we wanted. What are we going to do? Oh, Everyone's going to be so pissed at us because everyone was expecting us to get the answer. And the computer's like, well, I gave you the answer. It's 42. And they're like, well, shit, what was the question? And the computer's like, well, you didn't. You didn't give me the question, you just wanted the answer. And they were like, okay, well, can you tell us the question? And the computer's like, no, but I can build a computer that can. And that computer, spoiler alert, uh, was the Earth. Oh. And, and beings started to form on it, and it, it started to sort of become a planet, but it was initially supposed to be a computer. And then just before the computer was about to produce the ultimate question to life, the universe and everything, the earth was demolished. And okay. the answer only lives on subconsciously in the brains of the few surviving humans. So that's that's the context. That's the greater context. And you're right. There is, uh, it's like people people seem to people know like 42 as the ultimate answer, but most people like haven't really read the scene. Or I could go on about the Disney adaptation of the movie and how horribly it butchers everything. Or really, is that the one with Martin Freeman? It is the one with Martin Freeman. Yes. Mm. Uh. But when I first read it, I was not, you know, culturally plugged in. I wasn't culturally literate. I was 11. And when I was 11, also, like, I didn't have a whole lot of internet access. Uh, so I, I, the only culture, really, I had access to were the shows my family watched and the books that I read. So reading that scene, unspoiled, was like... A, it, was a, it was a paradigm-shifting moment for, for childhood me. Mm. Yeah, because I think you're right. I think being culturally literate and being 11 are mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, it, it would be it would be difficult. But yeah, I, I, I often find myself so kind of like surprised that I see references to it everywhere. And I'm like, oh, but do you know? Do you know? Like, you know, but do you know? Yeah. Uh, it often doesn't, yeah? Oh no, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it often doesn't come with the knowledge of the book itself. Like, what, uh, I think, because <clears throat> sometimes I will mention that, you know, it's my favorite book, and people will say, like, oh, I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movie. Is it basically the same? Uh, and here is the thing, because I could very easily just say, like, oh, it's a bad adaptation. I don't think it's that it's a bad adaptation, I think it's that Disney took the basic plot and the names of characters and decided to make a Disney movie with them instead of just adapting the text itself. Okay. Uh, because 
Douglas Adams, my best understanding, really didn't want to sell it to Disney. I mean, it was only adapted after he died. Um, in fact, there is a letter in the Salmon of Doubt that is he that is him writing to Disney about how frustrated he is that he has sold them his most famous work that he honestly didn't want to be. I think he would be kind of disappointed that Hitchhiker's Guide is like the thing that he's known for because he was really hoping that he would be known for more stuff than that. Um, and mm. it's definitely his most famous work uh, where he's, he's really irritated that he sold them this thing reluctantly because he kept trying to get versions made, he got a TV series made in the 80s that he actually appeared in, uh, Naked. Uh, but he he really wanted a movie, and he didn't actually get to see it. But they basically just took the premise mm. and made like a very basic Disney version out of it. That's a shame. Yeah, because it really, it really took out like all of the fun characters, uh, all of the fun dialogue, all of the social satire, it is completely not present. And while the whole 42 plotline is present, the really fun satire that goes along, like there's a great scene when they're first about to ask the computer for the answer and the representatives of the Philosopher's Guild burst in and they're like, you can't do this, we're gonna put us out of a job. We're, what, are, what are philosophers gonna do? We'll all be unemployed. <laughs> and it's such a fantastic, like none of that is gonna be in the Disney movie. Uh, so I, it's it's a sad thing, but when people say like, oh, I've seen the movie, I'm like, that's fine. It's a well done movie. Martin Freeman did a fine job of playing a character that is simply not the Arthur Dent in the books. Uh, it's, it's just not the book. It's something that's, completely yeah. different. He does a great job of playing a different man called Arthur Dent. Exactly, exactly. And I, this one I don't remember where Douglas Adams said it. I think it's in one of the interviews in Salmon of Doubt. Uh, that someone asked him, like, what is... There's so many different versions of Hitchhiker's Guide. Because, you know, it started as a radio play. Then he adapted yeah. it to the book. Then you have the 1980s TV version. You've got the video game version. Uh, and and you've got the movie version. You've got the comic book version too. I think it was DC Comics releasing them as comics. Like there's so many different versions that obviously things are going to be different in every single one. And at some point he was asked like, which one is the true version? And he was like, well, the multiverse is canon in the Hitchhiker's Guide universe. So they're all the true version. They're just all in slightly different universes. There you go. Uh, yeah. I like so, that. Yeah. So the, the Disney version is just another version of the same story. I just think it has so few of the merits that the book has. It maintains uh, the... So, so the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is named after the fictional guidebook in the world, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, the, movie, the Disney movie does those passages very well, I think. Ah. I will give it that. Okay. I hope this is more or less the kind of hyperfixation ranting that I'm supposed to be doing. Oh yeah, yeah no, because because like it really touches on a lot like things that we've talked about in the past in terms of like you know being a creator and like <clears throat> trying to listen to other voices when you make your own one. But I think you know when Disney is the other voice that you're meant to be listening to, you're always gonna end up going down a bad path like i mean we, we see this way 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 too much with not just adaptations of books but 
And again, not all adaptations of books, because the Lord of the Rings films sick. Um, yeah, they flop. But Dis- Disney adaptations looks like, I mean, the Percy Jackson films. <laughs> like, I see an awful lot of um, Douglas Adams' struggles with Disney ad- adapting his book with Rick Riordan, and he's released the the letter or the emails and stuff that he sent to them about how displeased he was with the films at the time. Like this was in the lead up to mm-hmm. him going back to Disney for Disney Plus series of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. But yeah, yeah. that and then, he, or even Lemony Snicket when Nickelodeon adapted a oh series God, of unfortunate yeah. events. Like he was on as like quote unquote a consultant, and then when they didn't like his input, they booted him off. And then they brought him back later uh, to be like, well, we fucked it up, you know, like, unfixably. It's irre- irredeemably fucked. Um, can you help? Can you give us some advice? Um, I think it's so funny that those are the two examples that you picked. Because those were two other past hyperfixations of mine. So I'm See, like, I know oh, yeah, these things. Absolutely. I was supremely disappointed by also both of those adaptations because I was yeah. also very emotionally invested. Uh, hmm. Very, very upset by the first event. series of Unfortunate Events. Oh, yeah, I didn't know it was Nickelodeon. Yeah. Yes. Which I'm. I am. Um, look, I'll go to bat for most of that film. Like, I mean, I think I've mellowed on it in age, but, you know, but like as an adaptation of a book series and a book series that I really like, I dislike it. But if I'm like, I want to go sit and watch this film because uh, it's on Netflix, then I'm like, I'm fine with it. But what I think is reaffirming is that now we've had like a really good adaptation of a series of unfortunate events. Um, for Netflix where Lemony Snicket was more involved and Rick Reardon is getting information of Percy Jackson that he wants and he knows the fans want where he's involved. Um, and I don't, obviously, has sadly passed away um, and I don't know of any adaptations of specifically Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, I know there was the... Huh? There, w- there was one announced. So, uh, I... Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say, I know there was the... Because they're... Like, you're, t- you're totally right. Like, I-, I feel the same way about, like, the series of Unfortunate Events movie and the same way about the Hitchhiker's Guide movie. Like, okay, as a movie, it's fine. But as an adaptation of this particular book series, it's not. Uh, yeah. And it's really great to see the series that kind of got fucked over in their original film adaptation getting the series adaptations that portrayed them a lot better. Hulu mm. did announce a few years ago that they were going to do a Hitchhiker's Guide TV series. And I was like, oh, maybe this is going to be the thing. Because also when I first heard about this, it was when uh, Good Omens, the TV series, had just come out, which was yeah. such a lovely and faithful adaptation i'm sure because neil gaiman was involved uh so i was like oh i have high hopes and then i found out that the hulu series was well two things happened one uh, i watched the hulu series of catch 22 which was another one of my hyper fixations and felt that they completely missed the point and was very did you kill joseph heller (laughs) god damn it i also killed joseph heller (laughs) fuck um 
I, oh, I'm Lord. pretty sure Joseph Heller died before I was born. Uh, but <laughs> I, would have, I would have to check up on that one. Uh, mm. And then Hulu announced that they were going to do this, and they said it was going to take place in America. And oh. I know that seems like a superficial thing, but considering the fact that so much of Hitchhiker's Guide is satire of British society specifically, that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. That's quite a cringe. But, uh... I, I your think... Honor, that's cringe. Yeah, Your Honor, Honor. That's, that's cringe. That's cringe uh, you, were you about to mention that Dirk Gently got a, an adaptation? Yeah, because I was like, I know that Dirk Gently got an adaptation. It ran for two seasons. It had Elijah Wood and Osric Chow in it, and I haven't seen it. It's on Netflix now. But they canceled uh, it after two seasons. They did. They did, and I kind of see why. But still... You should watch it. Bad? It, question mark? No! Okay, so here's here's the thing. I And this is why I want to expand it to Douglas Adams and not just Hitchhiker's Guide, because I could also talk forever about Dirk Gently. Uh, Dirk Gently is, like, one of the most underrated... Like, because people know Douglas Adams for Hitchhiker's Guide, no, no, one, no one ever gives Dirk Gently any love, and that is a goddamn shame, because it's such a fantastic series, and that, uh, that series, with the one with Elijah Wood, is also really fantastic. So, Dirk Gently originally got a BBC adaptation that I think only ran for, it was like four or five episodes, uh, starring Stephen Mangum and Darren Boyd. And it was pretty faithful to the books, but it wasn't really that good. <laughs> uh, the idea with the new one, with Elijah Wood and Samuel Barnett, is... Kind of that it's like a sequel to the books, but it also takes place uh, A in the States, which is not as big a deal for Dirk Gently because that one was not so tied to England, and B in the present as opposed to when the books actually came out. So it does a really good job of saying basically, this is not the books. This is the protagonist of the books in completely different situations with references to the books like it pays really good homage not only to the original Dirk Gently books but also there's plenty of Hitchhiker's Guide references in there. There's a dog named Agrajag which is an obscure reference to a weird bat creature that appears in Life the Universe and Everything the third Hitchhiker's Guide book and I love that. Uh, it does a great job of maintaining the energy and maintaining the character of Dirk Gently while making him more likable because in the books he's uh, kind of a dick. <laughs> and he's not he's not as much in the TV series. So I highly recommend. I think the reason that it mm. got I mean, there's so many reasons that TV shows get canceled. Uh, the second season went like insanely off the rails, which I think is super on brand for something based off Douglas Adams because the Hitchhiker series also goes insanely off the rails. So like it fit, it totally fit and it's super <laughs> enjoyable. It maintains the, the exact right energy without at all with only a single character from the original book series. So I, I love that show. I think it's a I think it's a great adaptation while not being an adaptation at all. And that's really, really cool. And probably the only adaptation of any book that I know of that was able to pull that off. I respect that, mm. personally. What? Yeah. I respect that, personally. Yeah. Oh, I totally respect it. Like, they, they really, they did their work and they did their research and they said, we're gonna make a story that's not that story. Uh, but that maintains all the elements that... I like to think that if Douglas Adams could see that series, he would have really enjoyed it. 
Mm. It's like we're we are aware yeah. of the story, but we're not going. But that's not quite the story we're telling. Yeah, like there's a scene in the first season of the new Dirk Gently series. I say new; it came out in 2016. Uh, that involves uh, a rhino head, and I don't know exactly why they included it, but it could be one of two things. One, uh, the third unfinished Dirk Gently book, A Spoon Too Short, was about a rhinoceros that escapes from the LA Zoo, so it could be a reference to that. Or it could also be a reference to the fact that Douglas Adams was really interested in environmental conservation and donated a lot of money and worked with a charity called Save the Rhino. In fact, he once climbed, I think it was Mount Kilimanjaro in a rhinoceros costume as a like fundraising campaign for Whoa. Save the Rhino. Yeah. Uh, so this is what that. I mean when I'm like when I'm like I know that I can't like put him on a pedestal. I know he had problems, but how could a guy who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in a giant rhinoceros costume, as you know, to to raise money for environmental conservation, like how could he be that person? You know what I mean? Kil- Honestly, Mount yeah. Kilimanjaro is five thousand eight hundred meters tall. Like a whole thing about the logistics of doing it and like how difficult it was. He also he had like a film crew with him and stuff. Like he wasn't just doing it alone. Mm. Do that not in a rhino costume. Like in my dreams, I couldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he that that was. This is another thing that's like not common knowledge because the only thing that people know about him is Hitchhiker's Guide, but. He was so interested in animals and environmental conservation. Uh, he actually wrote a really cool personal narrative about how he really wanted to swim with the manta rays. And he went to Australia like on a whim to be like, you know what, I'm going to try to swim with the manta rays. And he got there and they were like, you can't do that. We don't, you can't just go swim with the manta rays. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I can't exactly remember how it happened. But he did, in fact, end up swimming with the manta rays. And he was like, well... I, did. I guess they were wrong. Uh, and also, he actually, his self-proclaimed favorite book was not fiction. It was his non-fiction book, Last Chance to See, which was about his trip to Madagascar to document endangered species and species mm. that were going extinct. Which I will say, uh, Disney does nod to that in the in their Hitchhiker's Guide adaptation. There is one line where... Trillian, who is played by Zoe Deschanel, which is totally wrong, which because Trillian is supposed to be a person of color. Um, but she does reference wanting to go to Madagascar, and I'm pretty sure that is a nod to Last Chance to See. So that's cool. Mm. That is cool, in fairness. Yeah. So, earlier on you mentioned that um, Douglas Adams kind of wanted to move away from being known solely for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and for his other things, and now you've mentioned... The, the book he was, you know, proudest of was Last Chance to See. So, in honor of Douglas Adams, I'm going to move us away from Hitchhiker's Guide uh, to the Galaxy and ask, like, what's so fascinating about, to you, I mean, uh, about the work he did outside of Hitchhiker's Guide? You mentioned that he, you know, worked in animal conservation. He wrote, obviously, Dirk Gently, uh, and he did game design. Um, activism, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. So fascinating to me is that you you can look on the surface to any of his works and they're really fun, easy reads, uh, and entertaining and funny, genuinely funny. I still, I will read passages from any of, any of the above books and I will still laugh out loud because they're so enjoyable. But there is so much Welcome back. Thank you, Craig. Also, I see that you included in the voice chat the picture of the rhinoceros costume of Mount Kilimanjaro. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's really, it's a really nice addition to coming straight after the baby from a razor head. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. There's a big, I was going to comment on that, but the first thing I saw when I went into the text chat was the baby from Razorhead. Because. <laughs> kind of cute. What can I, like. I, I <laughs> am personally not a fan of the baby from Eraserhead. Mm. He's, a, he's a funky little guy. He is a funky little guy. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. Yeah, and we'll agree on that. Yeah. He's cute in this picture. Yeah. Um, so you were saying about um, the almighty Bob. Yeah. Well, just that there, there's so much religious satire present in Hitchhiker's Guide. And then you read something like an interview with him or uh, this speech he gave that was later published as this essay, Is There an Artificial God? And you realize just like the, the wealth of knowledge and philosophical thought that went into crafting all of these stories that can just be like an entertaining romp, but you realize just just how incredibly intelligent he was as a yeah. person. Uh, hold on just one second. I'm getting distracted because someone is coming in and out of this room and I just want to close the door real quick. That's fair. Okay, I'm back. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, I I want I want to like summarize the essay, but I also feel like I'm gonna do a really bad job because it's so uh, well done. But so mm. he was he was a self-proclaimed evangelical atheist. He firmly believed in atheism and he liked to try to convert other people. Uh, I personally am not like that. I I'm very much agnostic, so like I love. Uh, I mean, obviously, like I really like good omens. Like I love religious satire. Uh, and anything that is going to discuss religion on a philosophical level, but I don't, I don't have the same confidence that he had uh, in my beliefs. But he wrote this really wonderful piece where he talks about how gods fill social necessities. How, while he doesn't think that there actually is this all-powerful force there is a reason that religion exists in society and it is to fill the niches that we have created like he he uses the metaphor of how if a puddle were to gain sentience it would say something along the lines of oh look at this hole that is made the exact right shape and size for me 
and that that is how people view their gods. Our, our gods must exist because they are perfect for our particular social context. And he says, well, that is because they were crafted in that social context. And he uses the example of uh, Balinese rice farmers, I think it was, uh, whose religion was important for the schedule of the farming of rice. And as soon as they were like, oh, people don't really like believe in that anymore. We don't need to, we don't need to use the religious calendar. Um, every day, the, the rice farming was a mess. They couldn't do it. That mm. there was a societal need for religion for a specific purpose. And he right. argues that any, any religion is doing that and is filling some kind of gap. And that's what an artificial god is, he says. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I like that. Uh, so so it, it, the, the question was, why why is he so fascinating? That That's why. It's because <clears throat> there is so much else going on in everything that he writes. And what's really cool is putting together all of these pieces of, okay, this connects to this, connects to this. And I don't just mean, like, literally how the universes connect, which they do technically, Dirk Gently and Hitchhiker's Guide take place in the same universe due to the mentioning of the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation. Oh, also Dirk Gently technically takes place in the same cinematic universe as Doctor Who, because Douglas Adams did write doc uh, some Doctor Who for a period of time uh, and included a character who mm. was a Time Lord in Dirk Gently. So there's it's fun to connect pieces like that, but I more mean thematically, it's really interesting to see how, okay, his religious beliefs influence this and his passion for music. Like, he was a very musical person. He owned a ton of guitars. He's not known for his music at all. I don't even know if he wrote any music. Uh, but he loved playing the guitar, and it was a song. I can, now, I'm, now I'm losing the name of the song. I think it's called The Grand Hotel. That influenced... That, that inspired him to write The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, which is the second Hitchhiker's book. So it's just very cool to, yeah. to be able to put all these pieces together. Uh, also, he struggled a lot psychologically. He wrote about uh, being depressed. And the last Hitchhiker's Guide book, Mostly Harmless, uh, is uncharacteristically dark. It still has the same kind of like quippy dialogue and humor but the actual plot is exceedingly dark and he later talked about how that was also a reflection of the psychological state he was in at the time and he promised that there would be a sequel when he was you know feeling better that was back to fun happy light times uh and and then he died before he was able to write the write another book in the series and we were left with this incredibly dark ending um I hesitate to tell you how it ends because I because you say you haven't read it and just in case you choose to I don't want to spoil mm. anything. Uh but it it is it is shockingly sad and was later continued posthumously by Owen Colfer, the author who wrote Owen Oh, it's Owen Colfer? Yeah. This whole time so, I thought it was Owen. No. Um Oh, yeah. Owen, yeah. Owen is an Irish name, and also oh. slightly Welsh, but also Welsh. Like, the O-W-E-N version of Owen is the Welsh one. 
Uh, an E-O-I-N is Irish, but it's like a variant of E-O-G-H-A-N? Yeah. Yeah. That's how you spell that. I couldn't remember how how the end of the the G H O N is but was it was it G H E or G H A for a second there but yeah. yeah. Okay, now I am learning because I didn't know that. Uh, I yeah, everybody's wrong. wrong. Oh yeah, Robert. because yeah, because like people say that like O W E N like it kind of is an anglicization of how it's pronounced phonetically, but it is also I'm pretty sure it's just like the Welsh version of the name. Yeah. Old Welsh people called like you know, like the famous King Owen Glendwear. Um the guy who's featured in the Raven cycle. Okay, then yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who that is, and then you said the Raven Cycle, and I was like, oh that guy. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. Um oh, no, it was continued I, I appreciate posthumously that. I by him. I did a silly thing. Yes, it was. Um, that basically said, like, oh, that ending? Yeah, no, that didn't happen. Actually, it's like this. Um, that was apparently based on uh, the notes that Douglas Adams left for what was going to happen in the next novel that he didn't end up writing. Um, I... It feels kind of like the movies, that it's like, yeah, well, this is a book. It's not the... It's not Douglas Adams, so it's not the book that I wanted. It's not mm. what I wanted it to be. Um, but it is at least satisfying in that it continues a story that was intended to continue. Even if it continues in a very bizarre way that involves Thor returning as a character. Thor appears briefly in the third book, but it's kind of just like played off as a joke. Uh, Thor also appears... Douglas Adams had like a thing for Norse gods. Because uh, Thor appears... In in Life, the Universe, and Everything, which is the third book, he also appears and has a much larger role in uh, Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul, which is the second Dirk Gently book. Dirk Gently also goes to, I I, I want to say Asgard, in that book. Good for That's him. certainly a place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So just I was I I couldn't remember if it was Valhalla or Asgard, but I think it was Asgard. Uh. And, and and Thor comes back in a really weird way in this continuation of the series that I was not a huge fan of. But it does... Why was I talking about this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just saying that it is very fascinating to kind of map his life and beliefs and values to the work that he creates. Uh, and because he has died, and all I have are kind of like these, these like artifacts, these kind of ephemera, uh, essays, letters, things like that, that have all been collected in in anthologies and the Salmon of Doubt and stuff like that. Uh, there is this limited amount of of information and in interviews. I watched when I was younger, like. He was on David Letterman, and also this that's this documentary that he made with Tom Baker, which is so totally uh, feels kind of out of the blue, where he talks a lot about music because that, that's the, that's the other thing that can be that you kind of track this fascination that he has with music and math, and the way he had this belief that I'm gonna do really I'm gonna totally butcher. The, his idea but about how all beauty is connected so he would take 
songs and then uh, show them like visually, like like where the notes are and and look at the designs. And then he would also do the opposite. He would take designs in nature and change them into music and convert them into music. And this is something that appears in the Dirk Gently books. Uh, it's also something that appears in the documentary that I can't remember the name of, but it's super weird, and it involves Tom Baker, uh, of Doctor Who magically appearing in a garbage dump. Uh, and, and he also wrote a lot about music, and he wrote this essay about the Brandenburg, the fifth Brandenburg concerto. So that's, that's just, like, another really interesting thing that can be tracked in, like, everything that he wrote. Quite the interesting guy, it would seem. Yeah. He seems like a veritable renaissance man. He really- He also, like, for the longest time, didn't know what he wanted to do, which is really cool. And the way- Yeah, yeah, honestly, I do. And I think the, the way that he lived his life, honestly, has influenced the way that I live my life a lot. Like, mm. he decided- for for a really long time, he 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 wanted to be an actor, and he like he loved Doctor Who and Monty Python, and like that's what he wanted to do, you know. Uh, and he really struggled to do comedy and to be an actor, so he went through a lot of really random jobs. I'm again, you could fact check me on this, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he was briefly uh, a chicken farmer and okay. A bodyguard, I want to say, in Qatar. Chicken farmer, not bodyguard. Uh, like, he did these- and then he decided that he wanted to hitchhike across Europe. And then he did. Not the galaxy? Wow. Well, that's- sure. that is the origin <laughs> of- of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is because- False had, promises. <laughs> My fake. He had a book called Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, and and mm. this is all in the intro. You you could probably read this in. You said you had like the omnibus version of the whole yeah, series. Hold on now. Uh, oh, this, she's getting up. This oh, is probably oh. in the introduction. I'm so far away from the mic now. What does this even sound like? Just a little oh, bit. It does sound different, but we can hear you. I'm in a shed. A shed. Oh, I wish I. Yeah. Had yeah, yeah, you know the podcast and murder shed. Sh- should I? I don't know. Oh, I thought I thought oh, you said Meyer, you know the podcast serious. murder shed, and I was like, oh, is that a real podcast? No, uh, no, no. Aha, here we go. The idea for the title That's first cropped up. Huh? Myers, aren't you? We discussed this on my episode. The podcast murder shed? Yeah. No, we discussed the fact that you are Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. Fuck, I forgot that. There's there's very strange and specific things that I've admitted to on this podcast, under duress, I might add, for any lawyers present. Um, <laughs> in Ali's episode, I admitted to being Michael Myers from the Halloween film. So you and, so then, you and I are both murderers. Yes. And then in Shall Have It's episode on dragons, I for some reason said I would like to be hunted for spores. I'm about that. But yes, here's a guide to the guide. Some unhelpful remarks from the author. 
The idea for the title first cropped up while I was lying drunk in a field in Innsbruck, Austria in 1971. Not particularly drunk, just the sort of drunk you get when you have a couple of stiff gossers after not having eaten for two days straight. On account of being a penniless hitchhiker, we are talking of a mild inability to stand up. I was travelling with a copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe by Ken Walsh, a very battered copy that I had borrowed from someone. In fact, since this was 1971 and I still have the book, it must count as stolen by now. I don't have a copy on $5 a day as it was then because I wasn't in that financial league. So he had this idea while he was hitchhiking across Europe. And then I think he says later, either in that introduction or a different essay, that he like totally forgot about this idea. That he was just like looking up at the stars and he was drunk and he was like, Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe? What about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Crazy, right? Uh, and then he had, he got hired to write a radio play for the BBC, and he was like, how about that idea I had that one time? Uh, and that's how it started, as a radio play. Uh, which yes. I have listened to the radio series, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I was, I was about to give, like, a little analysis, and then I was like, I actually don't have anything interesting to say about that. It's a lot of fun. It's a good time. It's a good time. It's really, it's really cool and interesting to see how it started, and also to see kind of how he grew as a writer, because it's incredibly chaotic, and it it feels very clear that he didn't know where he was going with it, uh, and it's just it's very interesting to see where he ended up going because it diverges so completely from where he ended up taking the novels. Mm. The thing you said, I found like, the quote. Were... Sorry, no, just. Oh, I, no, I, I found the quote. As it is, I went to lie in a field, along with my hitchhiker. And when the stars came out, it occurred to me that if only someone would write a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy as well, then I, for one, would be off like a shot. Having had this thought, I promptly fell asleep and forgot about it for six years. I went to Cambridge University. I took a number of baths and a degree in English. I worried a lot about girls and what had happened to my bike. Later, I became a writer and worked on a lot of things that were almost incredibly successful, but in fact, just failed to see the light of day. Other writers will know what I mean. Oh yeah, and I do. Oh yeah. Well, what you were saying what? about life. Uh, that this kind of very adventurous approach to life and just always following his passions, going to swim with the manta rays, cause why not? Uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in a rhino costume because, hey, save the rhinos. Uh, hitchhiking across Europe, having an idea, forgetting about it for six years, uh, and then writing a radio play based on it. Like, this, this very adventurous, doing whatever he cared about way of approaching living has kind of been something I've taken to heart without even doing it consciously. I mean, I am an American, and... I am now living in Europe. I'm not hitchhiking, uh, but I have been taking Ryanair, which is kind of like the aviation equivalent. Uh, so true, true. <laughs> thank, thank you for backing me up. I was afraid for a second you were gonna be like, "Hey, don't, don't There's talk sadly about the good boys of Ryanair." There was a real Ryanair. pause there where you were like, "Are they going to defend billionaire <laughs> Michael?" Yeah. Okay. I was like, "But I'm bum." Uh, yeah, no. Hyperfixations is staunchly anti-billionaire, and especially yeah, billionaires true. that are from near where I'm from in the in the country. Wait, Michael O'Leary is from the no no. He's like from the same area as I am. 
I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. That is wild. Yeah. Also, billionaires who want to make you pay to piss. That's insane. The paid bathrooms. I have... There's... Ugh. I have a whole stand-up bit about Ryanair that I can't really do in the States because people in the States don't really know no. Ryanair. No, but here, here's what you do. You just control... At, you control H the word Ryanair and you replace that with Delta Airlines. But you see, that's already been done by another comedian who we now know is transphobic, so... Yeah, so he doesn't exist. Oh, okay, so I could steal- hey. I could steal his bit! What you should do is you should write a letter to John Mo. <laughs> just so you know, you have been cancelled, so I- I now get to be the comedian who makes fun of Delta Airlines. You know more. Uh, it's but, mo mom said it's my go on the comedy. Yeah, it's my turn to make fun of Delta Airlines. But also, speaking of my comedy, this is a great transition. Uh, because Douglas transition greatly. I put in the trans and transition. Uh, Douglas Adams has greatly influenced the way that I write comedy. And again, this wasn't like a conscious thing where I would sit down and be like, okay, I'm gonna write like Douglas Adams. It was just. I read so much of his particular style of dialogue and storytelling and narration that that just kind of started to be how I write when I write comedy. So when I started writing the sci-fi comedy podcast that I write now, The Stench of Adventure, I didn't intend to write Hitchhiker's Guide fan fiction. But just about everyone who listens to it is like, oh, this is like Hitchhiker's Guide. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it is. And I didn't I didn't mean to, but it really checks out knowing who I am as a person. Uh, if you go on, for instance, like Podchaser or Apple Podcasts or any place where people can write reviews, like total strangers have been like, yeah, this person definitely read Douglas Adams as a child. Uh, and I'm very happy for it. I'm very thankful for it. What? It's, it, that's cool. No, it's cool. Like, you know, like, the way you're being linked. Like, even people who don't know you, like, you're saying, like, yeah, that person, they listen to, they, they read Douglas Adams. Like, I don't know. I always just think that's kind of neat. Like, if you think you're known for something, but then you don't really know. But then when someone who doesn't know you, like, that well points it out, you're like, yeah. It's, it's really, really cool. And I honestly, it's gotten to the point where I don't know how many times it's happened to me. Like, I was on a different podcast that I am, I am going to intentionally plug because it's a really cool show. Uh, it's called First Episode Of, and it is a show- Ah, with Keith! Yeah, with Keith! You know Keith? I love Keith! I love Keith, too! <laughs> Keith is- Keith is, uh, such an incredibly kind and supportive person, and just, like, a wonderful addition to the audio drama community, um, and, and is also working on a podcast right now called Love Talker. Check it out. Um, and I'm, just I'm literally like, as this episode is happening, I'm literally talking to Keith about the Love Talker. No way! I'm also currently messaging Keith because he's going to be a guest on uh, one of our shows. Uh, I'm the only one who's not messaging Keith. Yeah, come on! You got to go message Keith. Go message Keith. What I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying his last name because I'm afraid I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's Tim's. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like panicked for a second. I was like, I'm only using a first name because I don't want to fuck it up. Uh, so I was. You know, you know, you know his his full name. It's actually pronounced Teams, and his full his full name is Keith Microsoft Teams. Of course, of course. The the yeah. W stands for Microsoft. Yeah, it stands uh, for it stands for Word. So <laughs> 
he he did a show. I'm so sorry, Keith. <laughs> uh, if you're listening, Keith, we love you. Uh, I I, I want to say this because I I want to hype him up. He did a show called Book of Constellations that is sci-fi and super mm. cool. Uh, but also just as like a way of supporting other people in the audio drama community, he does a show called First Episode of, where he listens to your first episode and then interviews you about it, uh, and then you know releases it as a podcast episode so people can in- yeah. get introduced to the show. It's a super cool thing, and this was my introduction to him as a person. I did not know him before uh, he interviewed me, and one of the first things he said was, so this is obviously influenced by Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And that was super <laughs> validating because I was like, I do not know you, but yes, <laughs> you don't know me, but yes. Uh, and and mm. that's just a really, that's just a really cool thing. That's pretty neat. That is neat. So, uh, if you haven't, I didn't mean to turn this into a plug, but if you've been enjoying everything I say about Douglas Adams, uh, you can go check out The Stench of Adventure. It's uh, it, all sources say it's very similar. That's fair. I suppose this may be a roundup question. Is do you have a favorite Douglas Adams book, or like, if you were to give like a like maybe a top three or a top five, or like um like or a favorite thing he's done, or a top all of them, rank all of them, turn them into a numerical list. Give me a bibliography there. Um. Okay. (laughs) Um. Um. And they do it too. I think my favorite... Okay, well, I'm going to touch on something that I haven't talked about yet. I don't know if I could claim it to be my favorite, but I... It's something that really delights me. Uh, And it's his games. Because that's probably, like, the last thing that people know about him. Is that, that he did games. The reason I can't say this is my favorite is because I've never been able to finish one of his games because they're so old, they keep crashing on my computer. Um, But I find it very fascinating to play. He made a game called Starship Titanic and uh, a game, a a text adventure version of Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, And the reason that I love these so much is... As I have said many times in this episode, here's this person who fascinates me and I'm very sad that I cannot uh, interact with him, cannot write a fan letter, mm-hmm. cannot say, here are all the ways that you've influenced my life. Thank you so much for like changing the way that I see the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the wonderful thing about games as pieces of media is that they are interactive fiction. So they are my one opportunity to kind of interact with him from beyond the grave which is a really weird experience if you ever play uh, the text-based Hitchhiker's Guide game. It's, I mean, obviously, you know, it is a game. It is all pre-programmed. I am under no no illusions that I am speaking to Douglas Adams' ghost. Uh, But the fact that I can type something and he will reply is really crazy. Uh, and I feel I feel the same That's way about mad. Starship That's Titanic good. because he voices some of the characters in Starship Titanic as well. Because uh, that one is not text based. That one is a like early like point and click type. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so that is I don't I don't know if I necessarily say that's 
my favorite, but it's one that it's one that makes me very emotional to yeah. interact with. I kept <laughs> I have I have vivid memories because I I would I keep playing going back to the old Hitchhiker's Guide game because it's it's really hard. It actually it contains what is considered one of the hardest puzzles in video game history. Oh lord. Uh, yeah, if you look up the list of like hardest puzzles in video game history this will be like number five i think um so is this above or below the ghost the what the ghost there's a game with a ghost it's a point and click like lucas art adventure game where just like trying to get get it to actually do what it's meant to do is really really difficult i think ghosts like dead goat oh goat no yeah I don't know. I'm familiar like with animal. the only LucasArts point-and-click adventure game I'm familiar with is Grim Fandango. I love Grim Fandango. I played it for the first time recently. Ah. Here's the thing. I I loved it. I similarly got stuck, could not figure out what the heck I was supposed to do, which seems to be the constant issue with old point-and-click adventure games. Um, At least for me. Was this... Was this in the, the town area? I don't remember because this was about six years ago. Ah, uh, okay, because the second area of that, yeah, it is just ridiculously difficult. I just remember um, there was, like, I couldn't, it was very early, I, I, like, embarrassingly early. I, like, couldn't leave the hotel or something like that. Mm. Um, like, when I first played the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, game, I couldn't leave Arthur's house because I kept getting hit in the head with a brick and dying every time I tried to oh, leave no. the house. And I was like, damn. Ah, so, uh, so doctor's I, diagnosis, you've got wet bandit syndrome. Wet bandit? Yeah, like the guys from Home Alone. Like if you if you oh, were yeah. to look up, um, Macaulay Culkin will be dropping bricks on your exactly, head. Exactly. Macaulay Culkin does make a surprise appearance in the Hitchhiker's Guide game. Um, uh, but the Deep cut the from the boneyard for all you Home Alone fans out yeah. there. One of the greatest joys uh, is repeatedly trying to make Arthur and Ford kiss each other and having Douglas Adams' voice say from the grave, Hey, this is not that kind of game. Hey, this is not that kind of game. Uh. Every, every, time, every time I type in that key command. That's so funny. That when I yeah. that reminds me of when I went to see My Chemical Romance. Gerard stood really, really close to Frank, uh, and he was like talking to him. And then he turned around and addressed the crowd, and he was like, "Don't fucking get excited." Nah. <laughs> That's uh, what I feel like that back. is. All roads point back to My Chemical Romance. Yeah, I mm. I. I took like a, a series of screenshots of my favorite like moments that he put in that game. Um, cause there's a lot of, you know, cause it's all text commands. There's a lot of fun stuff that you can do and potentially yeah. the game will respond to you. Uh, now, now I'm like, okay, let me actually answer your question. As a kid, my favorite was mostly harmless, which is ironic cause that's the really sad one. Um, where everything kind of goes to shit. Um, I think because probably because Mostly Harmless featured the first character 
that I really felt that I could latch onto and relate to in a Douglas Adams work because here I was an 11 year old, uh, at, you know, at the time girl, uh, <laughs> hyper fixating on a story about like two 30 something year old men, British men um, in space. Uh, yeah. And a 17 year old girl appears as a protagonist for the first time in mostly harmless and i remember just like desperately wanting to be her not because there was anything about her as a character that was appealing actually she was a really kind of like messed up character because her whole thing was that uh due to a time anomaly her mother accidentally left her at a daycare for her entire childhood oops yeah, because her mother was an intergalactic reporter and she like left to do a job and then she came back and her child was 17 and she was like, hee hee, uh, oops. I'm so quirky <laughs> like that. Yeah, I'm so quirky like that. And then she proceeds to pick up her daughter and drop off her daughter on this random planet. Uh, the same planet with the almighty Bob and the giant earwig, uh, where her father is, who did not know that he had a child. Uh, and... I, I think just have, and her whole thing is this extreme sense of alienation because she hardly got to know her mother. She has just met her father. Her parents are the only two humans left in the universe. So she is like the last human child in the universe. And she is fascinated with the Earth, but has never been to Earth and cannot go to Earth because in this universe, earth has been destroyed so she has this kind of fascination with uh the planet that she is ostensibly from and yet has no connection to and what mostly harmless is partially about is her quest to find a universe where the earth exists so she can finally go home yeah. and i think something about that not just the fact that she was like the closest in age to me or that uh you know i was a girl and she was a girl i but i think something about this like quest to go home uh spoke to me on an emotional level that absolutely i that i that i really really liked and something about because you know like i've said so many of these stories can just kind of be read as like oh it's just a fun comedic romp whatever uh and so her name is random i also think i just really liked that her name was random uh <clears throat> Something about Random's story was shockingly uh, painful and genuine and relatable in a way that many Douglas Adams stories are are not quite. Yeah, uh, and I I think that's why, despite the fact that it was the sad one, mostly harmless was and and probably still is my favorite. Douglas Adams' work. But I know as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to change my mind and have another favorite. So, you know, that's just the best answer I can give in the moment. That's fair. That's fair. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up. Unless you yeah, I think so. That's, that's cool. Um, Alex, where can we find you? Is there anything you'd like to plug? Or... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I work with a production company called Strong Branch Productions. So if I seemed like a cool person to you and you want to see some of the stuff that I do, uh, check out at Strong Branch Pro on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, the main show that we do is The Stench of Adventure, but we also do uh, 
Other shows, we do Strong Branching Out, which is a TTRPG show. We also do tabletop games. And you can find those tabletop games uh, at alexequest.itch.io. Alexequest is also my Twitter handle, so that's where you can find me as a person unrelated to the company. Um... Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much all the things that I do. Cool. Uh Nigel, where can we find you? Uh you can mainly find me on Twitter at Spicy Nigel where recently well, uh, as of today it's 196 days until Avatar 2 comes out. Um but also I've been tweeting um my gender is scamp and uh England <laughs> has no England has no redeeming qualities. Fair enough. Fair enough. Actually, Keith responded to that tweet. Um, he said, it's got some cool English people in it. it well, mm-hmm. you know what? It produced You know it, what? So it can't be all bad. Yeah. There was, one, there was one cool English guy one time. Um, well, it also, it also produced you. What? I said, hey? it, I said it also produced you. I'm, so, it can't, so it can't be all I'm bad. Irish. Oh, fuck. Oh, my. Oh, no. Never mind. <laughs> I forget everything. I will, I will chop that out of the episode. Uh, oh, thank God. <laughs> me on Twitter at AliCat underscore Ali spelled like Aliway, cat spelled with a K. And you can find me on Instagram at Ali, A L L Y underscore K underscore Keegan. You can find the podcast at HyperFixationsP on Twitter. Or at HyperFixationsPod on Instagram. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or in the dictionary under podcasts. I mean, come on, I don't have to spell that for you. Wherever. <laughs> um, if you would like to come onto the show to discuss one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. If you like the show, tell a friend. If you didn't, nobody likes a fucking Merrick. <laughs> And that is all for this week. Alex, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Nice. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, it was great to talk to both of you. Thank you. Mm. Bye. 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 Signing off.